Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, we are talking about the COVID vaccine and whether or not my guests feel like it's safe to vaccinate their children when it's available. Now, some of us have littler kids, and we all know that as of right now, the COVID vaccine is not approved for uh, kids under the age of 17, but there are some of us who have kiddos that are over 17 and would potentially be eligible here in the near future. So I thought we should have a group of autism parents on, and let's talk about whether or not families are comfortable having the COVID vaccine for their little ones. So who would like to start? Tony, you're my, you are to the left of the Brady Bunch lineup to my left. You're the left of my face. So how, let's start with Tanya. How do you feel about the vaccine and whether or not you feel comfortable giving it to your kiddos? I fall in the camp of, yes, I will give it to my kids. <laughs> um, especially because my 10 year old Logan, who has autism, has very severe anxiety. And one of his, um, He's anxiety about everything, like things that most people would be like, that's not a big deal. Like, well, and one of his fears is uh, dying. Yeah. So um, for him right now, he's having anxiety because he goes, he's doing school remotely, except for he goes in person for writing group. And right now it's been in the portable, which is nice. So I just drop him off in the bus loop. Well, they're moving back into the building next week, oh, finally. Makers. And oh. he is super anxious about being exposed and having to quarantine. And so even if it's just to give him a peace of mind when it's available, I will get it. And he's even said that he wants it okay. because he has such anxiety over things like this. Yeah. That and he unfortunately catches parts of the news. He's at that age where he he where he actually pays attention if the news is on. So he hears stories. And so it causes even more anxiety in him. Yeah. And so once it is proven effective and safe on kids. I do plan on getting him vaccinated. Yeah, I'm with I'm on the camp with you. If anybody has been a follower of Isaac's podcast, uh, you would know that I talked about my son, Caleb, and the fact that he is addicted to the news. So we have to really work hard to keep his iPad locked down. Um, so that he doesn't download news apps. And, but then, you know, he still gets on Google and will still research stuff because Mm -hmm. he's just my kid that wants to know what's going on in the world. So he can fuel all of his anxieties. It's all, it's not like he's trying to even like better himself or learn something. It's that he's just fueling his anxiety, but you know, so it's a vicious cycle. So I, I am sympathetic to that. Like we are in the same camp on that. I think that for kiddos that have high anxiety and they're concerned about COVID, it is one of those things where you have to weigh that with just how debilitating is anxiety. And I'm telling here to tell you that it is very debilitating. And so if the COVID vaccine can help just, you know, make them feel more confident going out, then that's something you need to consider. Geraldine, you are in my next Brady Bunch Square. How do you feel about the vaccine? Now, going back, let's back up a little bit because Geraldine, you are a teacher. And so I don't, have you been offered the vaccine yet? 
I have not been offered the vaccine yet. Um, some educators have, depending on like their district and if the district was able to give it out to their employees. But we've been trying to, but have not yet. But I will take it as soon as I'm I'm allowed to. And you um, be back in the classroom for the entire school year because you are kindergarten, correct? Yeah, pretty much. We were the first ones to go back. So we've been there since the beginning of October. And a couple of my kids have had COVID-19. So I think... Actually, three of my students have had it, but we haven't had any classroom spread, luckily. Yeah. So because of that, um, I've been tested a couple of times and every time it's been negative. I also give blood every 12 to 14 weeks or so, and they give you a free antibody test. So if for some reason I had it and didn't realize, I will find out beginning of March. But I don't think, yeah, I don't think I have. Okay. So when it comes to your kiddos, because you have two young men, how do you feel about uh, the vaccine and whether or not you'll give it to your kids when it's safe? As long as their dad and I are on the same page, because I guess, you know, he has some kind of a say in their medical decisions, but I think he would say yes to. Um, the only concern I have about giving it to my 13-year-old, Elian, he's the one on the spectrum, is it's just really hard to give him any sort of shot whatsoever. It's difficult to get him to walk into the doctor's office. That gives him really high anxiety. And I think it's because of previous vaccinations. That's the one thing that he just doesn't let them do. He has a panic attack. Um, he screams. And he's a pretty calm kid, but it takes three to four adults to try to hold him down. And that's not a good experience for him. So that's really the only thing that would really kind of put me off for not letting him get it unless for some reason he had to have some sort of other procedure and they had to knock him out. Then I would say, yeah, just get everything done. Give him a couple of vaccines, you know, whatever else you can get done while he's under anesthesia, if that's safe. Okay. So can I just throw out, I've had this conversation with several parents because they have kiddos that as um, like Elian have just a phobia of doctor's offices and then of course shots. And one of the things that we were brainstorming, which is so funny you bring this up, is that a lot of our kids, when we have to have like dental work done, we have to sedate them. So there is a sleep dentistry uh, clinic here in Spokane. And we were just talking about how great would it be if when the Johnson uh, vaccine, which is a one dose administration uh, of the vaccine, um, how great would it be if we could work out a relationship with Spokane de- or the sleep dentistry so that when we take our kids in to have their dental work done and they have to be sedated for that, that we could just ha- go ahead and have them do the vaccine at the same time. Like, what heck yeah, sign, sign me up, sign me up. Yeah. Well, yeah, sign my kid up for that. I actually hear that one's the best one against all the variants too. That That's Johnson. What I just heard too. I was listening to NPR and they were talking about the testing that's been yeah. on the variant, the COVID variants, and actually the Johnson vaccine, the one dose vaccine, Johnson vaccine has proven to be more successful with the variants. So I was like, I know. This Gosh, you, you and I are listening to the same stuff, Holly. That's where I heard it was on NPR, but that's just what I listen to every day, all the time. So yes, I do too. It's part of my newsflash that Alexa gives me every morning when I say good morning, Alexa, and then she gives me my oh, my yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. Alexa's creepy. She knows where you are all the time. But I know she does, but um, sure, NPR will tell you that too. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, we've had some of those conversations at work when we were doing staff meetings. And then the very next day, the things that we talked about in staff meeting come up and populate for us either in Google or Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, oh, my gosh, it's been listening to us during staff meeting. So 
Um, how about you, Amber? Amber's joining us also. How do you feel about now? You're. I want you to give kind of your whole story because you are a family that's a little bit different in that you your family has had COVID. So, how does that affect your decision and whether or not you decide to do the vaccine, or will you even? Um, I won't be actually. Um, just because a yeah, all of our our whole family did get tested positive. I've been tested positive twice and I was vaccinated um just due to where I work. Um you're in the but health- it wasn't really an option. What was that? You work in the healthcare industry. Yeah, I am. Um but at that point it wasn't really a um a choice. It was it was kind of mandated because we work with, you know, ear, nose and throat. So a lot of it was COVID symptoms. So we really weren't sure who was walking in with COVID and who wasn't. But no, I won't be um giving that to the kids just because a when we did go through it um uh well Kaylee just had heart surgery and so um they did test her for antibodies and they were still alive and well months months after um and I think it's same same reason I don't do flu vaccinations like I grew up in a kind of a different household we just kind of lick stuff and built immunity rather than we're vaccinated not that I'm against vaccinations they have all of the mandated ones um and then if it gets into the whole you know they have to be vaccinated to enter school then i'll you know reconsider and stuff i don't want them to miss out on that and have another year like this but um another reason that i don't is because of kaylee's reaction to even the flu vaccination she has female seizures and she doesn't do well with like any type of vaccination, not just, you know, the ones that I'm familiar with. So um, when the girls were sick then with COVID, did, how severe were the symptoms? Were they pretty severely symptomatic? And with one of your daughters having a heart issue, is that a concern? It was a huge concern, especially because it was, it was right at the beginning. We didn't know anything about it. So I was terrified and their symptoms were actually pretty bad. It was 104, 105 fever. We were in the hospital. They actually were more afraid that they had Kawasaki disorder, which is what the kids were coming down with after COVID. No energy, couldn't eat, couldn't drink, couldn't sleep. It was awful. I mean, it was it was terrible. And I would never, you know, want them to go through that again. However, I, you know, with the vaccine part, like I just, I'm fearful of that too. I don't know. I don't know enough about it yet. And I've been researching and you know, reading and talking to people and talking to different doctors that I work with. And it's just so, it's so new that I will keep, you know, continue to research it. But no, their symptoms were bad enough that we were in the hospital uh, for two days and we were quarantined in a different section because they weren't sure if it was COVID. And then um, Kaylee's test came back positive with COVID for a rapid. Um, They didn't have the test yet that they were using shortly after that. Yeah, hers was positive. Um, Melanie's, they didn't do one because Kaylee tested positive. So at that point, they weren't doing everybody testing because they didn't have them. Why they didn't give them to everyone was because that was early on when we first shut down and they were trying to conserve the tests. Yeah, they didn't have enough COVID tests and they didn't really know. It was it was March. I mean, they didn't really, yeah. you know, the first people were brought in February and it was March that they got super sick and they just didn't know, you know, enough about it yet. They weren't testing like they are now. Yeah. But yeah, they did not have enough. 
so in March they had COVID and then when she had her heart surgery, how many months later was that when she had her heart surgery and they tested her and she still had the antibodies? Uh, she had her heart surgery back in June. So March, April, May, June. So about, yeah, three months. Okay. And she's still, and they were alive and well and high and um, they weren't concerned with it, you know, then. Um, however, I mean, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. It did. That's how we did find the hole in her heart. So had it not been for that, I, I, you know, you never know. And they say that what her, the heart problem that she had, the hole in her heart had nothing to do with any residual effects of the COVID, having COVID, correct? She was born with the hole in her heart. They just, you know, they don't have any reason to check for that until they need to. So we didn't know. Gotcha. Um, We're a little bit different in our family because we have Caleb who has autism and then my husband's son Cooper has autism and and we Cooper is going to be 18 in May. And so he is eligible for the COVID vaccine, although uh, he doesn't have any, you know, underlying health conditions that make him at a higher risk for having complications from COVID. So he's still lower on the list of, of individuals that will be offered the vaccine, but he is old enough to have it. But the thing is, we're still kind of debating on that. And we haven't really made a decision just yet because Cooper is one of those kids, and John has talked about this in previous podcasts, is he was one of those kiddos that uh, had a vaccine injury. He was, there's video of him talking and saying, dad, look at me and running around the house on his little mobile snowmobile, you know, on wheels, a little toy snowmobile and dad, look at me and running around the house and doing that kind of stuff. And then immediately after some, a vaccine series just went to uh, staring at the wall and not communicating any longer. And so it was just like overnight, the lights went out and he had, he was one of those kiddos that after the vaccine had 104 degree fever and was just really incredibly sick. So they feel that his autism is definitely, there's a correlation between that and a vaccine injury. And so they've been very careful about doing vaccines over the years for Cooper because he's, again, he's going to be 18 and he functions at the level of, of a socially and emotionally at a two or three-year-old level. So he is significantly impacted. And so there is some concern about, you know, was the vaccine injury because he was young and is, should there be a concern that he would have some challenges with the vaccine at his age and the question, and we just don't have an answer. And of course, like you guys, you know, he's not a huge fan of doctor's offices and people coming out at him with needles. So, you know, it's going to, you know, being that he's 225 pounds, it's going to take some effort to get him, to get him vaccinated. So it's just hard, you know, how do you guys feel, you know, science has come so far, you know, when we think about the polio vaccine and some of the vaccines that were developed way back when, how they come up with vaccines is a lot different than how they came up with, um, uh oh, we had Amber that has to jump off because they had a little injury. Somebody busted open their lip. So if you don't hear from Amber, it's that she had to jump off to take care of her daughter who just got hurt. But I guess the question I have is, are you more comfortable with the studies and how they develop vaccines now? And yes, this was rolled out very quickly, but do you feel more confident that researchers know more than what they did previously? And so you're more comfortable taking something that hasn't been on the market for a long time to be tested? Or do you still have the same concerns regardless of just advances in medical science? I 
am fairly comfortable. Granted, I come from a background of a family with my mom's a retired nurse. My mother-in-law is a retired nurse. have worked in healthcare. I think my answer would be very different if my kids had ever had a reaction to any vaccine, but neither one of them have ever had a negative reaction. And so, and due to the fact that they have always been okay with every vaccine they've gotten and haven't had any type of like side effects or anything, I'm fairly okay with that. Cause to me, the down, I think the long-term effects of COVID are very unknown and I would rather have my kids protected against that with the research that's been done on the vaccine. That's so true because we don't know what the long-term effects of having had COVID will be. We, you know, we know that younger kids don't seem to be as symptomatic as adults, but that, you know, when you're talking about that herd mentality, if we don't know the long-term effects for those, for adults after having COVID, and then of course we're not vaccinating kids because of a variety of reasons, you know, it's kind of that vicious cycle where, you know, how are we going to get on top of this? So I agree. I think there's definitely to that. We, for Caleb, Caleb has already said, as soon as that there is a COVID vaccine, he, as Tanya with you, Caleb will be one of the first in line to go and get it because his anxiety when it comes to catching COVID is quite high. And uh, so he's just not willing to. That's thing- Logan. And Logan doesn't have quite the anxiety uh, I mean, getting shots isn't his favorite, but he doesn't have the anxiety that a lot of kids on the spectrum have with getting shots. He's a, he has an unusually, he's a sensory seeker. So he has a very unusually high pain tolerance to begin with. And so he does okay. He actually does better than his younger brother at getting shots. And because of a medication he's on, he has to have blood work every so often. So he actually just went in um, on a couple of days ago and we, he had his blood drawn and he did, he, while it wasn't his favorite thing, he sat still for it and did amazing. So Yeah, that's really good. Well, and that's the question. I guess the next question I have is, will if your child says, no, I don't want the vaccine and has the ability to vocalize that, do you honor their decision to not get it? Or do you pull the mom card and be like, oh, no, you're going to get it because I said you're going to get it, you know, and that's, you know, Caleb is saying, yes, he wants it. I have my one of my teenagers who's 17 and is eligible to receive the shot saying, no, I don't want to get it until more people have it. And I know what's, you know, they're putting in my body. So the question is, is that do you allow your kiddos to have some input in that? I think that's a slippery slope. I mean, that's a really, I think that's a topic in of itself because I mean, even the other way around, what if your kid wants it and you're a parent that doesn't want to give that vaccine to your kid? I mean, It kind of gets into that issue whether, you know, at what age should you be able to make your own like medical decisions? And I know that can kind of vary from state to state even. Gosh, yeah, I'm I'm glad both I don't have that concern with my kids, that's for sure. Cause and I think I would tell my kids the story about my dad. My dad was probably one of the last people who had polio before there was a vaccine. Oh. So I mean, we're definitely on the vaccine train, knowing that it could have help save like somebody like my dad, a lot of heart heartache. And yeah, I'm with Tanya. I feel like the unknown long-term effects, especially with those people that have like long COVID as they call it long COVID, you know, their lives are potentially forever changed. I feel like they've done a lot of research into the vaccine and no, we don't know what's going to happen in a year. It more than likely, I feel like it would probably just lose its effectiveness. I feel like that's probably the worst thing that could happen. You just have to get another one or they would have to revamp it. But that's just like the flu vaccine every single year. If you, the flu vaccine is not the same, they change it every single year. 
That is true. And I will tell you that even with the flu vaccine, I have come to the point where where they are in age, I let them decide whether or not they want to have the flu shot. And I explain, you know, there's a chance you're going to catch the flu and you're going to be really, really, really sick. You know, there can be even some real severe reactions. And I've always let the kids decide whether or not they want the flu shot. And it's 75% of them get the flu shot. 25% of them do not. So I have one kid out of the four who elects to not. And he's the one that's saying, I don't know that I want this COVID vaccine because I just... Speaking of the one that doesn't want the COVID vaccine, he's calling me right now. But, you know, again, at his age, I let it be, I, you know, there's a certain, even though he's 17 and I still have some control over him, when it comes to those sorts of decisions, I feel like I have to allow him to make that choice. But as he gets older, and I think the more he sees kind of how it rolls out, you know, he may decide that he wants to do it. And that's the thing. You know, the biggest fear I have too is, is that, you know, the elderly and, you know, there's a lot of people in our community that still don't have the vaccine. So I think, you know, we have to be, you know, good citizens, you know, and that's one of, I will go back to and say that that's one of the reasons why Caleb, he does not like shots, but one of the reasons why he opted to start getting the flu vaccine is because one of the people that's in his class um, and he's in a lot of small groups with like pull out resource services with, she has some, medical issues and she's in a wheelchair and one of his concerns is he really enjoys this girl she's one of his good friends he just really likes her a lot and he was worried about him making her sick and so that was because that is one of the reasons why we get vaccinated for different things is so that we don't contaminate other people who maybe can't get vaccinated because of their medical issues so he chose that he was going to get the flu vaccine because he was afraid that for some reason he could actually make his friend at school sick and i thought that was a real responsible decision to make you know and this is a young man who has high functioning autism so that was something that as you know empathetically made the decision that part of the reason why he wanted that flu shot was to protect his other friends yeah i don't know i feel like with all of the medical scientists we have some of the brightest minds in science that were working on this vaccination i feel like long-term effects of the vaccine are less than the long-term effects of what could happen for some of those who have caught COVID. You know what I mean? So I, you know, it's so hard to say, you know, we're just making best guesses of life though, isn't it? Like in life, we're making best, our most educated guesses based off of the information that is provided to us. Am I right? That's all you can do. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, we are still, the, the verdict is still out and we really are trying to do more research when it comes to Cooper and whether or not it's safe to give him the vaccine, just knowing how badly he has reacted. And then of course there is concern with some of the offerings, you know, for those that have anaphylactic reactions, there can be some real severe side effects. So we're still doing some additional research, but the good news is we have time. We have time before we have to make those decisions because as of right now, vaccines are not being offered to our kiddos under the age of 17. And those individuals with autism that are over 17, that would be eligible, they're in a, they're in a long, they're in a category a long time from now where they probably will not be offered the vaccine for some time. So it will be interesting. Tanya, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this COVID debate conversation on vaccines? Um, not really. I mean, I've always been very much for vaccinations it, because I feel like overall it's very beneficial, but my kids have never had a negative reaction. Yeah. So 
Yeah. And I've always been of the camp that because we have a genetic predisposition to autism based off of just, you know, family history of, of autism, we've always we have vaccinated our kids, but we did it on an alternate schedule. So we spaced them out. We made sure that they were hundred percent healthy before any of them got mm-hmm. the vaccines. So we just did things like that to be smart about how we vaccinated. And some could say, well, how did that work out for you with Caleb? He still has autism. And I would say, well, the difference between Caleb and his brother, Isaac, who passed away is that Caleb is very high functioning mm-hmm. and his brother was not so much And like Cooper, not high functioning. And so that's the thing is, is that, you know, we knew we had a genetic predisposition. And so we were just trying to make responsible decisions to improve, you know, any negative outcomes that could have happened from vaccination. So, you know, Caleb just got caught up with his vaccines in the sixth grade. So we just spaced them all out and did them really responsibly and all was well. Did the schools not have an issue with that, Holly? Oh, no, they've had issues with it throughout this time they enrolled them. And so it was a little bit easier years ago to have your doctor because our pediatrician was 100% on board because of the genetic predisposition that our family has to autism. And when I say genetic predisposition, it wasn't so much that Isaac, we had one other child with autism. It's that my ex-husband's brother, older brother, you know, they didn't know what they didn't know at the time, but he, he meets the criteria for autism. His two children meet the criteria for autism. There's, you know, question as to whether or not, you know, um, his sister's child, um, might have high functioning autism. And so that's the thing. When I say genetic predisposition, we have a very strong genetic predisposition. I've learned that in my family afterward, my cousin who I, it's a cousin I've never met, but my, uh, my first cousin on my dad's side, his son, according to my, my other cousin, his sister has autism. Um, and then my my ex-husband's first cousin on his mom's side also has high functioning autism. So we definitely probably have the same thing going on on our family. I mean, it's not as close yeah. as it is and sounds like in your family, but it'd be interesting to, to find out more. Well, and that's just it. So our pediatrician is very comfortable. You know, we prioritize the risk factors of the different illnesses and what could be really life-threatening. You know, there are some vaccines that we give to children because more of the risk that it poses for adults. And so, you know, pregnant women catches some of those um, different illnesses. It can be really catastrophic for the baby. And so, um, you know, Polio was one, the risk factor was lower. So we just did that one later, but there was ones like pertussis. That's a really, that's a dangerous one and meningitis and different ones like that. Um, Chickenpox was the last one that we did. And Caleb had his choice. Uh, His brother ended up catching, um, no, I'm sorry. His older brother ended up never catching chickenpox. And so they went ahead and at 13 decided uh, Tyler needed to have it because as you get older, it's just harder and harder on the kids. His younger sister caught chickenpox and then Caleb had the option and he decided he wanted to be vaccinated because he didn't want to be a chicken. And so, cause in his mind, that was the, that's what chickenpox was as you became a chicken. So he ended up being vaccinated for that one and made the choice that he wanted it. But, you know, we just spread it out and, and so in those days, it was a little bit different. So the doc, pediatrician just wrote a medical exception and just put in the paperwork that he was on an alternate schedule and would have them by, you know, and he would put down the date that he planned on giving Caleb different vaccines. And so it's just been something every single year we would have to go through the um, medical paperwork. And then oh, now it's very difficult 
to enroll your child in public education and any education really, unless you have those vaccines. So it's much, much harder now to get those exemptions. And I don't know that many doctors are um, willing to do quote unquote medical exceptions. So, you know, that's, you know, probably a topic for another day, but yeah, it's much, much harder now. And realistically, back in those days too, we were told, well, if there's an outbreak of X, Y, and Z, then your child will be out of school for, you know, 30 days. And so we knew that, but some of, you know, polio, you know, we haven't had any local outbreaks in, in many moons. And so I was like, okay, uh, you know, duly noted, we'll make sure that we, we factor that into our, our plan should polio, um, you know, Show re-emerge. Up. Should yeah. it should re-emerge. Yeah. Re-emerge in our school, we will definitely be sure to keep him out of school for 30 days. But and again, it wasn't that we weren't planning on doing it. And that's what I always tell the school. It's like we are planning to vaccinate. We're just doing it in an alternate schedule. And by and large, most most of the you know administrators were fine with that. So and again, you have to make the decision decisions you make that you can live with. And that was just, you know, something that we have factored in. So that could be why my 25% of my children is still a little, you know, cause he was vaccinated under an alternate schedule. So he is just much more cautious and just wants to do more research before he agrees to taking any vaccine. So, you know, it's not that he doesn't cause he does take some, like I said, he was, you know, he took the chicken pox vaccine because he didn't want to deal with it at his age. And it's not that he's opposed to all vaccines. It's just, he wants to know more about it before he just signs up and says, yeah, let's do it. So anyway, anybody, Jaren, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, the reason I ask is because I got a hard time before about my son being late on one of his vaccinations. And I don't know if that was my fault or if that was his pediatrician's fault. But yeah, so yeah, it's it's much harder in the last three years, I will say it's got exponentially more difficult to have a, a delayed medical schedule when you have kids in school that, you know, and I think it's going to become more and more difficult. And so that in and of itself is, is a probably a good podcast topic because it's yeah. becoming more and more difficult to, you know, even have an alternate schedule. And, you know, when we have legislators that have talked about making it mandatory that all, you know, kids be vaccinated, you know, I'm not saying no, but I think that there needs to be an alternate schedule option so the families, you know, so you can vaccinate the regular schedule or you can do the alternate schedule. You just have to kind of select which track you want. And that should be suitable, you know, for, you know, because parents, I think, do deserve to have the right, especially like in our family where we definitely have a very strong genetic predisposition. So, yeah, I mean, everything is not a one size fits all. So I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's really not. So, well, thank you guys for joining me. I feel terrible that Amber had to jump off because her daughter busted open her lip. We live in an autism world. And so uh, we just roll with those punches. And so we hope that um, her daughter, Kaylee, ends up hopefully not requiring stitches. So sorry to hear about that. I'm sure we'll hear more about that in our autism group shortly. So thank you guys for joining us. And we will catch you next time on Isaac's Autism Well podcast. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.